everybody th thinks that I was a tennis player, but I'm the furthest from that. But I can tell you everything, you know, that goes right with the serve, wrong with the forehand, and I played football uh, mainly as my uh, my sport younger. Uh, what position, by the way, or positions? Yeah, I was pretty good receiver, so yeah. I had good hands. And, um, and you had uh, some wheels on you, too, though. Yeah, I yeah. was uh, a little faster yeah. in my younger <laughs> days, but yeah. We all are. We yes. all were. Yeah. <laughs>Sure. Well, thank you, Mark. And it's good to be here with you today and uh, thank you. connecting on this level as well and, and talking to all your listeners and viewers. Um, so uh, I, I kind of grew up everywhere. I was born in Virginia Beach. My father was a naval officer and um, my life was moving every two years to a new, new state, new city, uh, depending on where my father was getting assigned in, as a naval officer. So I've uh, lived in California, Maryland, Florida. Philippines um, and throughout the country and uh, really uh, uh, when I graduated from high school um, settled in Pensacola Florida so um, oh, yeah. and uh, went there um, to community college um, obviously I've got other degrees but that's my proudest accomplishment and my proudest degree is uh, being a community college graduate because it opened up so many doors and avenues for me as um, kind of a late bloomer if you will, on the academic side of things and allowed me to um, get into a university and, and kind of go from there. But, um, but yeah, I've moved around a lot as a kid and um, extremely tough. Um, it's, it's never easy being, being a military brat, um, but it taught me a certain skill set later on in life to be able to put yourself out there, meet friends quickly because you knew you had two years uh, and you're picking up and moving. So it, I think that helped me out uh, on a social side of things. Yeah, I mean, I guess you could go one way or the other socially, right, with that. Uh, it's interesting because there, you know, I'm putting together this mental map already of all these skill sets that you pick up along the way, right? It's almost like in a video game how you pick up this, uh, this tool, that, that tool and so forth that you've picked up. We're going to talk about a lot of this along the way because it's, it's pretty remarkable how your life has prepared you to do this, right, without knowing that maybe along the way. Uh, my mom, by the way, was in Norfolk, Virginia, okay. uh, also with the Navy, and uh, and I also was a late bloomer, so we have those things yes, in common, yeah, yeah. academically. Yeah. Um, good to and, know I'm in good company. Yeah, though, right? well, you're at least <laughs> we, in similar company. We turned out okay. <laughs> so, uh, okay, so you, uh, you also uh, followed in your dad's footsteps in that you went into the military. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Um, you know, we have a long line of uh, military members in my family um, going back to World War I, uh, my grandfather in World War II on my mother's side, and he was Army and um, served uh, in Asia and other places. Um, I've got uncles that uh, served in Vietnam, my father in the Navy. Um, and I spent uh, just recently retired of 25 years of um, Air Force service in the reserves. Um, was activated for a lot of big things in Afghanistan and, and served time in Korea and, and other parts of the, the world and the country. And then currently have a daughter um, carrying on the tradition at the Air Force Academy and is a sophomore um, and a tennis player for them, uh, Ariana. Yeah, an elite level tennis player. Yeah, she did she, did she get offers at uh, other universities as well? Yeah, she was um, not only a, a local player, but a national player here um, uh, with the uh, USTA and we did a lot of uh, traveling uh, in our life uh, throughout the country, and uh, played, she played in a lot of tournaments and uh, was heavily recruited and um, really bonded with the tennis coach at the Air Force Academy. And um, she early on said, you know, hey, this is not for me, and uh, was recruited by the Naval Academy, actually, and um, kind of didn't want to go out there and look at the school. And, um, and then she connected with the Air Force Academy coach, and it, it really changed her life. And I'm forever uh, grateful to Coach Gidley for giving her that opportunity um, and, and talking to her. It, she is a changed person, uh, completely mature, self-sufficient now, and, uh, 
and I think she made the right decision. So she's carrying on the, the tradition in the family. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the, the seeds were planted, mm -hmm. and, uh, and then they, they grew. She's been there a couple of years now, right? Right. She's yeah. in her second year and, and doing extremely well academically, and their tennis career continues to, to get, improve every, every day. Yeah, that's a, that's a tough gig between, I mean, Naval Academy, or sorry, the Air Force Academy by itself, and then you add sports, competitive sports on top of that. That's, talk about life skills. Wow. Yeah. So did you play sports as well? So I, I did a lot of uh, athletics um, when I was younger. I uh, um, pretty much played a lot of sports, but football was my uh, organized sport, although I like to play basketball uh, uh, informally off the courts uh, with my friends after school and on weekends, so never was a tennis player. People ask me, uh, well, you're, and I've got another daughter, her name's Summer, who's a, uh, a national player as well, and um, a senior at Faith Lutheran, and uh, being recruited for tennis as well. But everybody th thinks that I was a tennis player, but I'm the furthest from that. But I can tell you everything, you know, that goes right with the serve, wrong with the forehand, and um, but uh, I played football uh, mainly as my, uh, my sport younger. So really enjoyed it. And you played in Florida, played all over when you were kind of, you know, I would play yeah. uh, wherever we were living yeah. at the time. And so uh, would have liked to have done more with that. But, um, you know, it was a little little challenging. But uh, I, I raising two student athletes um, and knowing what they go through, um, it's it's the job is so much tougher. You know, it's just academics was always first. Mm -hmm. um, and then the athletics was just kind of a thing that kind of rounded out our daughters and um, helped with keeping them busy and um, they enjoyed it and but uh, total respect for student athletes uh, throughout the country that yeah. do that at every level whether it's high school college um, so yeah absolutely uh, what position by the way or positions yeah I was pretty good receiver so yeah. I had good hands and um, you know uh, so I was typically uh, catching the ball and he had uh, some wheels on you too then. yeah I yeah. was uh, a little faster yeah. in my younger days but yeah. <laughs> we all are we yes all were. Yeah. <laughs> yes we were well that's cool so yeah. um, wife doesn't play tennis either how did they get into it no um, it was just kind of uh, one day uh, my wife and I uh, decided to um, we were in North Carolina at the time and um, just moved in and we had tennis courts in the neighborhood I said let's go out and hit and younger daughter was um you know able to walk and um but still kind of terrible twos moving around mm -hmm. and um i grabbed a racquetball racket and and um said okay this will keep her busy in the corner while mom and i uh, you know uh, hit the tennis ball uh, at least try to and uh put her in the corner gave her a ball and a racket and then quickly realized her hand-eye coordination was very good so um so we kind of noticed that and um, she really started out playing golf um, and she was a very good golfer, but the pace was not fast enough for yeah. her. She likes the, the fast pace. So, um, she was a very good golfer, um, and decided to focus in on tennis. So that, that paid off for her. So, uh, but it was really noticing her hand-eye coordination and being able to pick up and hit a ball immediately with a racket. So, um, we just kind of nurtured that and said, let's, and, and we've always felt with our kids, and if I can give any advice to new parents and where, what to do and, and get their kids involved, just sports that they can do for a lifetime, mm -hmm. whether it's swimming, golf, tennis, those are things that um, I think will carry you throughout, um, you know, whether it's socially or even in my world, um, being able to network and do business in certain uh, venues is, will, will serve them well later on in life. Yeah, I agree with you, man. Mm -hmm. I, think, I think sports, some type of extracurricular activity is so, so important because for a variety of reasons, but one of them is the things that you learn from it. Okay, so uh, sorry I sidetracked, but no, that's great. I, I, that's my favorite family. thing to do is talk about my girls. So. Well, good. We get to talk about them some <laughs> yeah. more. Um, so the, you uh, you also were in the Air Force, yes, right? Uh, twenty six years now, is that right? Um, I did uh, twenty five years. Okay. Uh, twenty five years, and um, uh, came in uh, after I graduated from college and really wanted to give back and and the the life that was afforded to me being. Um, associated with the military my family I wanted to give back and, and continue to do um, what what benefited our family and quite frankly um, and you may remember this because I think we were about the same age time frame is uh, um, not only had my father influence and in living on military bases but the first Top Gun came out yeah so um, as you remember that influenced a lot of people to uh, <laughs> yeah. you know I want to be you know Tom Cruise and um, and so uh, that really 
pushed me over and I started researching hard. How, how can I be, be um, a, a military officer? And that was always a goal long ago. Um, and uh, was very happy to be able to achieve that. And um, you know, first to go in the Air Force, but um, ma made a very good decision. And there's so many lessons in life that I've learned from being a leader and growing up in the military and the responsibility that the, uh, and the opportunities the military gave me. Yeah, I want to I want to talk about that in some detail. I want to go back because uh, uh, there's there's a point in your life that I want to uh, be clear about. You went to community college. Right. I, by the way, I, I hear what you're saying about that level of accomplishment. Um, the distance between what you think you can do and what you actually did, I think, is uh, is it's really amazing. Uh, and I think it's very cool that you recognize that, and I'm sure share that with other people as well. Um, and then. Uh, where did you go into, when did you go into the military as well? Sure. You know, um, and again, uh, you know, I've got a lot of degrees and certifications and boards and that type of thing, but uh, being a community college graduate allowed me some time to, you know, really find myself. And then what did I really like to do? Because, um, you know, I, I had a lot of different avenues that I thought I wanted to go into and um, allowed me to to prepare myself for the next step and, and find the right school that had the degrees that I wanted to, mm -hmm. to, to ultimately enter into healthcare, healthcare administration. So um, from there, um, uh, went to University of Central Florida. And at the time, uh, most hospital administrators were business degree graduates. And, and University of Central Florida, much like UNLV, has wonderful programs in healthcare administration today. And I was kind of the first class coming into that healthcare administration program. And really my grades took off from there, you know, Dean's List and really enjoyed what I was doing and, and learning. And um, so I graduated from University of Central Florida. Same time, um, um, got my foot into healthcare, uh, working at Orlando Regional Healthcare as a patient registration. I was a clerk, um, it was my first job in healthcare. So registering patients as they came in, collecting their demographics, financials, uh, finding out why they're there and building charts and getting consents and those type of things and working side by side with doctors and nurses, which really allowed me to see the team come together. And that was probably the best learning experience in healthcare that I've, I've ever had is working in, in an emergency room, a level one trauma center at Orlando Regional Medical Center. And then really wanted to join the military as well. So I was going to school, working, and then, um, uh, doing my paperwork to, as soon as I graduated um, to uh, become a military officer in the Air Force. And then um, kind of just kept on going. Um, it was always the debate, do you, you wait to get your master's degree or do you just keep going? Um, you know, I had my own thoughts on that, but uh, I made the decision to keep going. So I was working full time, joined the Air Force Reserves, getting all my military training, going to schools uh, to become an officer. And then uh, the Air Force um, uh, picked me up as a hospital administrator. So it all kind of came together oh, wow. that they've trained me as a hospital administrator. So, you know, all the, the even Nellis Air Force Base, I've still got the same qualifications as the commander out there and know them very well and uh, went to class with, when I was much younger, we were all in uh, officer training school and healthcare administration school long ago. But that kind of all came together as far as my preparation to, to lead UMC um, in 2014. So. We're going to jump into yeah. that piece in a second, but there's a there's a couple of really important things along the way. You were uh, after 9/11. You were in Afghanistan. Um, as a transition into your healthcare career, uh, your current healthcare career, can you talk a little bit about what that experience was like for you? And and then you know that's one of the many uh, influences you've had in how you lead people now. It was, and um, you know, as you're you're talking about that, and and, and talking about uh, September 11th, and we all remember where we were, um, and I remember uh, standing uh, exactly where I was watching the television. But um, and I think everybody was just um, knowing that the world was going to change. But I knew, for me personally, that um, knowing that I was an Air Force reservist and um, a, a medic, um, Air Force medic, and a hospital administrator, that my life was going to change very quickly. So within. 48 hours, um, well, obviously we, that kind of had to settle, but uh, once we decided to go into Afghanistan, I knew my life was gonna change. So I had 48 hours to basically pack up my house, um, prepare to 
Um, I was living in Florida at the time, go to McDill Air Force Base, which is head of Central Command that really heads up uh, the, the operations in that region. So, um, you know, I knew my life was going to change and uh, didn't know where they were going to send me. Um, I was supposed to go to Pakistan initially, then got rerouted to um, the front lines in Bagram, Afghanistan. So, um, yeah, definitely a life lesson there. Um, I, I got there and just you know, where am I? You know, how did I get here? And, and very austere conditions, first in, um, you know, didn't have all the comforts that we do have there in Bagram. Well, not there now today, but um, later on I did. But um, so that was a, a, a huge transition in my life and um, really tested my, um, not only physical uh, uh, fitness, but more importantly, my mental fitness. And that, that was the biggest thing that I took away from being in Afghanistan is, um, you know, you think you're ready, and, and I saw a lot of a lot of kids around me, young kids, 19, 20-year-old kids. I was a little older, um, so probably a little bit more mature, but just uh, mentally, um, uh, you know, it was, it was a tough time. So, you know, you're seeing things that um, um, you shouldn't be seeing, a lot of death, a lot of violence, unfortunately. So that uh, really was a, a key point in my life, too, on leading people and getting them through you know, the conditions, the time, you know, knowing that we we're all going to get home. So that was important for me. What were some of your, what were some of your uh, biggest lessons? And, and thank you, by the way, for your service as well. Thanks, Mark. And I, I would do it all over again. I, yeah. I tell people all the time and I, I appreciate uh, everybody that supports veterans out there. And then, you know, um, all the businesses that recognize that. Um, so, you know, I think, um, again, I, I, I was with uh, a very unique group. Um, what was, uh, even though Air Force, uh, my position, you were always forward deployed. And a lot of people don't realize that in the medical community, in the military, that um, it's mostly uh, reservists that are deployed because we keep our skills sharp. In civilian hospitals, every day we're, we're doing this. Uh, it's mostly healthy 19 to 24-year-olds at the bases, so you're not seeing the the trauma, you know, the burns, the penetrating trauma, the things that you would see um, as a, an effect of uh, conflict. And, um, but I realized, you know, to get through this, for me personally, I was going to have to be mentally tough. You know, um, it, there's no weekends, there's no downtime, there's no uh, five o'clock. Um, you know, there were 20 hour days, um, seven days a week. You get your rest when you can and, and get back into doing the job and, and taking care of each other was the biggest thing. And you always hear about taking care of your wingman or your, um, you know, leaving no one behind. That, that really is um, what we're all about. So, Yeah, it's, you know, I just think I can't really truly imagine, you know, I wasn't there. Um, but just hearing you, like hearing the emotion in your voice around this mm -hmm. still, right? Yeah. It's been many years. Um, what a significant impact that had on you. Yeah. And then it seems like you've brought a lot of that to uh, UMC, to not just UMC in your professional yeah. career, but now at UMC. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. You know, I've, I've always tried to, um, you know, I, I throughout my career, I, I, you, you tend to emulate leaders or you, I like to be like this person or they're successful. And, um, and, then, and then I realized that you know, I, I've got to be myself. Mm -hmm. um, I realized that uh, my style of leadership may be different, um, but it's about connecting with people, um, uh, being who I am internally, who, how I was raised by my family, what the military has taught me, so taking care of each other. Um, and so, yeah, I think that whole career of mine, um, as I've moved up the ranks and moved up with responsibility and, and how you take care of airmen and soldiers, um, it, it translates into the into the civilian world very easily, and I th I think that's why you get so many um, military leaders that do do well in civilian sectors. And, and regardless of the industry, I think leading people um, comes down to a lot of um, basic things. And so, um, you know, my ability to connect with, regardless if it's you know somebody that's on the front lines or somebody strategic, um, just trying to get to know them. And, and you and I have talked about getting to know somebody on a personal level mm -hmm. makes all the difference. And so understanding what motivates them and how you can support each other. And that's what UMC is about. Yeah. And then, you know, you've really been tested here. Uh, we, we have as a community, but you, you and UMC specifically with the October 1st shootings, uh, with COVID, can you talk a little bit about that? I mean, that's, you know, 
you've had the certain preparation, but some people around you haven't. And so, um, but that's, you talked about a traumatic situation. I don't think there's ever been one like that, right? Yeah, you know, I, I've had some opportunities to um, really to lead situations and crisis and um, work through, solve problems. Um, you know, you go back to Afghanistan and the things I learned there, but throughout my entire career. And then there was, um, there was a, a, and I tell it often that um, I was on a military exercise for seven, seven days in, in you know, tents and you know, MREs and just yeah, um, not a very luxurious uh, conditions. And we were doing a big AeroVac, medical AeroVac, moving patients that were injured and out of the theater. And um, about the second day, um, the colonel, Colonel Saves is, is his name, and, um, and I was a young lieutenant. And he walked up and very, didn't say a word to me and handed me a note. Uh, during this military exercise. Now, thank goodness it was a military exercise, so that it was about training uh -huh. and learning, but he, uh, I opened up the note and said, I have just been shot, you're in charge. And I looked at him, and I'll never forget this, and I said, sir, no, I'm not ready. He goes, you're ready. And then, you know, he evaluated me the whole time, but never let me fall, but that was, uh, I, I kind of took a deep breath, processed it, and said, okay, I can do this, I'm gonna do it, and led hundreds of people through this exercise for, 24-7 operations for seven days a week. So that those little things that the military has taught me all the way through, but you're exactly right. Um, coming to UMC, the, these things continue to um, hit us, whether it is October 1, uh, the pandemic. Um, we had a cyber attack that, uh, I'll tell you, Mark, that was I've been through a lot. That by far was the most stressful thing I've ever been through, going through a cyber attack on your organization uh, and working through all that. Um, you know, I speak about that frequently on how to lead and make right decisions. And, and, um, and so that, that was a huge learning experience for me. And then there's been a lot of little things that happened in our community that the community doesn't know about. You know, I was reflecting, you know, there was a time when we got a phone call that unfortunately a nursing home on kind of the south side of town was patients were being evicted, um, much like somebody was being evicted out of their home. And they called and said, we've got um, 80 patients that we don't know what to do, and they, they have to leave tomorrow. As you can imagine, your mother, your father, somebody mm -hmm. that is frail and elderly. Um, but that's the UMC way. We, we rallied. We said, we're going to find homes for every single one of those. And the team picked up, and we took over control of that nursing home that day and, and the next two days and found homes and placement for all those patients. Otherwise, they were going to have to um, show up at every emergency room in the community and and then kind of restart that process, which is, that's not the right thing to do in our community. So there's been various things that um, I'm very proud that our team at UMC has responded. And again, Mark, it's, I, I, my philosophy is I hire the best people I can, give them the tools they need, and I get out of their way. So it's really, um, I, I've got an amazing team at UMC, and I, we work shoulder to shoulder, and um, it's, it's much like the military over UMC. It's, it's the camaraderie, it's the morale is really good there, and um, retention's great, so um, I'm really proud of our, all of our team members. Yeah, I wanted to tell you a story. Uh, I mentioned this to you briefly before, but early on when I was here, um, I was coming over, actually I had a meeting with you, and uh, on one end of the hospital, I was, I was trying to find you know, where your office was. I was completely unfamiliar with the hospital. And as I was walking across the parking lot, uh, somebody with a UMC badge was walking and I asked where your, uh, where your office was. And the person said, oh, let me show you. And we walked for probably 10 minutes. Yeah. Like she <laughs> walked me all the way to your office That's great. And, and showed me. And I was just like, this, it, it was like I was in the Ritz, right? That kind of service. Um, but it was remarkable, and I've seen that from many of your, your team members. So I, I, not only do I hear what you're saying, I've seen it before, which is remarkable. But Thanks for that. I, 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 first of all, it's, it's a city itself. If you ever walk into UMC, it, it's, we, we have a city in that facility, but that's, that's the, you know, our philosophy, our, our values, and, and our I care principles, is, and that's great to hear. Yeah, well, let's talk about that because, yeah. you know, UMC is a hospital has a few uniquenesses to it. It's a county hospital, right? And so if you can talk about what that means, but 4,000 people or so that are 
working? Yeah, yeah, we've uh, we're up to four thousand five hundred now. Yeah, we wow. we have been uh, growing quite a bit, um, both on the main campus at UMC, but also our ambulatory division, uh, which includes our primary care offices, um, our quick cares, uh, which is well known, which is our urgent care, and then. Uh, we're in, in telemedicine now, our online care, and oh, wow. we surpassed 10,000 patients um, recently on caring for patients online, which is um, something I didn't think that we were we were going to get into, but COVID certainly accelerated that mm-hmm. for us. Um, and so uh, that's a new line of business. And then we've also grown our specialty care division, which is kind of your specialist physician, surgeons, um, neonatologist, anesthesia, we're onboarding, we're now taking in uh, radiology. We're uh, November 30th, we're taking on uh, UMC radiology. So there's been some moves that um, either have been planned or have presented opportunities for us to, to move in that direction to grow. Um, you know, when I joined UMC, we had about 40 employed physicians. We're approaching 300 today. Wow. So, um, and, that we're, and that's gonna continue to grow as you know, I see that um, physicians wanna look at that employment model um, and, and UMC is a great home for, for those specialties. Um, and UMC has some unique areas like a, a level one trauma center, the, the burn center and so forth. Can you talk about what, not just what those are, but what that means to Southern Nevada? Sure. Um, you know, very proud of UMC being home to a lot of first and onlys in our state. Um, we are the only level one trauma center, which is um, why we say we're the highest level of care because Right now, I've got about 16 different specialties standing by, whether they're in the hospital or within uh, a phone call away or being in the hospital within 30 minutes, So, which helped out uh, a response, obviously, on October 1. And, um, you know, I, I was there that evening, um, came in and just kind of watched the team and helped wherever I could uh, with patients, moving people around and assisting. But, uh, Mark, if you would have came in the next morning inside the hospital, you would think it was a normal day. Um, the team had worked throughout the night. Every patient was where they needed to be in the operating rooms or outside the operating rooms, placed, comforted. Um, but outside was kind of the chaos. You know, everybody, we had local, national, international media, mm-hmm. people, the overwhelming support that we had from a com- the community and um, forever grateful. You know, uh, that, that night, you know, certainly saw the worst that could happen in society, but I saw the best to come out of Las Vegas that, that evening and the weeks and months to come. So forever grateful uh, for our community and, and it really shows how, how close-knit we are in Las Vegas. But um, yeah, our level one trauma center, um, we have a transplant, the only transplant center in the state of Nevada. We do kidneys and pancreas uh, transplants. And in fact, happy to report our kidney uh, center, transplant center is number one in the nation. Wow. Um, uh, and there's three ca- criteria that um, rank uh, tra- uh, kidney centers, um, time to transplant, survivability, and there's a third category that we're in, in, in about third spot for, but for me, survivability and time to transplant, mm-hmm. our average time to uh, wait for a transplant is about 10 months. Some, some states it's 10 years. So um, really proud of the transplant team at UMC, and then we're on a journey to um, do livers as well. Hopefully within the next five five years, we'll be able to have capacity and the specialist to do uh, liver transplants. But um, the only verified burn center in the state, the only accredited children's hospital, and the, and the list goes on and on. Um, we really have become, um, I believe, the heart hospital in Nevada. Um, our, our, our cardiology um, residents uh, partner with UNLV, Nevada Heart and Vascular, um, we're doing great vascular services that no one else is doing now. So um, we're probably one of the busiest heart hospitals, not only in the state for sure, but probably in the nation. And, and there's, with all that going on, you also have, similar to uh, UNLV's Kirk Aquarian School of Medicine, uh, a special uh, vision and task of taking care of those people who are not typically taken care of. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, I, I and, and we're here at the Kirk Corian School of Medicine today, and um, uh, we uh, certainly um, partners in taking care of the vulnerable and those populations. But I'll tell you, Mark, you know, what I love about UMC is you'll see everybody from rolling up in a shopping cart to the Rolls Royce and Bentleys. That's, mm-hmm. That is what UMC is about. We take care of the entire community, regardless of where, you, where you're coming from or what side of town you're from. And 
um, deliver that great care um, every single day, every every shift, every hour at UMC. And so we're certainly doing our part um, to taking care of the vulnerable populations, um, doing a lot of outreach. That's why I'm very proud of our primary care offices, um, trying to keep people out of the emergency room, out of the inpatient side. In fact, we just opened um, a block away a UMC medical district primary care to be able to allow those patients that um, are coming out of the emergency room that may, can't get in their physician in a week or two weeks, you can get into our primary care clinic next day, get those medications filled, make sure that you have everything you need so we don't have you um, having to come back to the emergency room um, and that we can get very focused care on, on um, the patient. So very proud of what we're doing. Um, taking care of all of our patients that come through our doors at UMC. It's, uh, you know, Mason, it's a much, much more complicated uh, situation than most people think about with the hospital because, again, not only are you serving the underserved, you've got the shopping cart to Rolls-Royce as well, which creates some, you know, Vegas is a very unique uh, area, right, and there's some unique challenges to that. And then you've also got an academic arm as well that we'll talk about shortly, but can you talk a little bit about the the uniqueness of Las Vegas and how that really shapes some of the work that you do? Yeah, you know, it's certainly, um, we're, we're always looking at that. Um, our patients that we're serving and, and our outreach, um, we've got a great healthy living department, have a healthy living department that does everything from daddy boot camp to, you know, yoga classes to, um, you know, working with our senior populations to make sure that um, they've got what they need. They've got the resources they need that, you know, physically we're, we're trying to avoid falls, those type of things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, another clinic that we have um, here in the medical district is our wellness clinic that is very specific to infectious disease and HIV patients. So it was uh, Orion White, um, a partner grant with HRSA. We've been in business for a long time doing that uh, for, for many, many decades. So um, those are things that we're filling the gaps in the community, and so we're always trying to, uh, and that is what makes unique, UMC unique, is how do we um, work beyond you know, the 26 acres here at 1800 West Charleston and do more outreach? Um, because people do like UMC, they like our brand, they like our services, they like our electronic health record, the ease of access to um, um, get into UMC, um, even if you can't come to, to the urban core, the downtown, how can we touch those mm-hmm. uh, patients out in the community? So we're constantly looking, and, and my goal and my team knows this, that we're growing our clinics, two to three clinics a year. Uh, we just recently opened a clinic all the way up at Aliante, and then we continue to look at where, where there's not care and access for patients, both on the urgent care side and the primary care side, but also always having that online care as backup. And, and as we go back to the idea of a community hospital, Mm-hmm. Right. There, there are unique roles, right? You're, you're different um, because you're, what you're really talking about is being in the community and either bringing people to UMC or going out to the people as well. Yeah. I, I know you know this, of course, it's your mission, but I'm going to just read this real quick. To serve our community by providing patient-centered care in a fiscally responsible and learning-focused environment. So... If you, if you don't mind, talk about yeah. that a little bit, because that's, sure. that's a big deal, right? Yeah. There's a lot to that. Yeah, and, and you know, I get the honor of uh, welcoming all our new hires every two weeks and going into our new hire orientation, and we break down our mission, vision, and values and uh, as we continue to grow and hire and, and employ um, across all levels of specialty. So, you know, we'll break that down to serve our community. Um, there's been nobody serving our community longer than UMC. Um, to our humble beginnings in 1931, when we had one doctor and one nurse taking care of the workers of the, the Boulder Dam at the time for two years by themselves in a 20-bed um, ward, if you will, right on uh, Charleston Avenue where, where our surgery center sits today. But um, love our history. Um, you know, patient-centered care, we break that down. What does that mean? Mm-hmm. And, and you alluded to it previously about um, how diverse our population is and that you know, I tell the team, you know, we all have our checklist, right? You, you go through your day, you've got to get this done. I've got to get certain things done, the nurses and the doctors, but never losing sight on why we're here um, and making sure that, um, and I tell a story, if you will, um, indulge me to the employees. And, and it's kind of a, how I lead with our, with our orientation is 
Um, long ago, you know, as you remember, there was a space race uh, between Russia and the United States and um, lots of resources and energy put towards that. Um, and President Kennedy challenged all of us, our country. And I, I tell a story, and, and we've had lots of dignitaries at UMC. We've had the president, first lady, and many others. Um, and everything's very scripted when we're, we're patients or we're, where the president goes, certain pace, we're, we're going to visit. And I tell a story about when President Kennedy came out to visit um, Cape Canaveral and, and how the progress was going and how we're going to explore beyond uh, Earth. And what um, in that, on that tour, the president, and you get the NASA administrators, the senators, the astronauts, but he veered off that tour and went up to a janitor at the time and totally off script. And again, it's validated story that, but he asked that janitor, what are you doing? And I tell the team, like, we all could answer that question. Just think about what we do in healthcare. Finishing up my checklist, I'm doing a timeout, or I'm restocking the shelves, or I'm, um, you know, whatever you, that you, your, your assignment is. But that janitor answered to the president, I'm helping to put a man on the moon, Mr. President. And I let that sit with the employees for a little bit. And, I, and then we talk about that. What, tell me about that moment between that janitor and the most powerful person in the world, what that meant. And, and the team comes up with all the right answers that we're a team. Um, he's part of the mission. He's uh, engaged. He understands. And that's what I, what I say about UMC. It's not one person. It's not one department. It's not one service line that makes our institution run for the last 90-plus years. It's all of us working together. Um, and so that's really what, our, our, what we think our mission is. And, you know, I, we are viewed differently than other hospitals in the community, as you're alluding to, Mark. Is that, and I always tell people that you will go out and you'll have that UMC badge or that lanyard or UMC blue on, and somebody's going to stop you, and they're going to want to talk to you about how our burn center saved their child's life or um, how they had a great experience in our quick care or, to your point, somebody walked me from one side of the building to the other and took the time out of their busy day to do that to make that connection. And again, I, you know, the nice thing is, uh, I'll tell you, and I've worked for for-profit companies, I've worked for not-for-profit companies. Um, I mean, see this as a public institution and I love working um, uh, in this public capacity, but um, I always say to, to the team, we don't have shareholders, we have careholders in the community and that's who we answer to uh, in Las Vegas. Yeah, that's fantastic. I, I'll tell you the, the Cape Canaveral story, right? It's one of the ways that it's so important to us is because what what we're doing we are doing in the community right that anybody who's involved in healthcare is a moonshot right because we're not doing very well as a state right. and so let's talk about that sure. a little bit and then what uh what umc's place and partnership is with that sure so you know the statistics better than i do how are we doing as a state you know um and, and, and Dean Kahn and I work on this a lot together, um, and, and, and it's been a really good partnership on going out and, and trying to, and I never use the joke about the airport. I, that never has ever come out of my mouth, but it still gives me cringes when I hear mm -hmm. that. Um, but I think that's really turning the corner. Mm -hmm. um, when you look at some of our um, uh, services that we're providing throughout the state, the north, south, east, and west, and um, we're getting better every day, every week, every every year. So, um, but there's some still challenges, you know, that that hold us back. Um, obviously, recruitment coming um, to Nevada, it's always a challenge. The Medicaid reimbursement has always been on the table, uh, and when we've got um, more and more Nevadans, unfortunately, on uh, on Medicaid, um, and, and I, I've got a lot of thoughts on that on how we can get you know get people employed and how we can get um, commercial markets to, with the exchanges and affordable health care but um, you know we've got uh, I think during the height of the pandemic close to 900,000 Nevadans on Medicaid so um, when you've got a, an insurance product that uh, only covers a third of our true cost um, that that's tough for physicians tough for you know um, providers, uh, your, your local doctor's offices, they're trying to make it out in the world. So we've got to continue to focus on that reimbursement rate. Um, it, lots of people know that, so I won't belabor that but, issue. Um, but it's, a, sorry to interrupt, yeah. but it is an important point because the, our neighboring states right around us don't have the same reimbursement rate. Right. 
and, and that's really hard, right? If, if our neighbor right next to us in another state is doing the same work, they're going to be reimbursed at a very different rate than us. Yeah, and that's, I think you're exactly right, Mark. And I think, you know, obviously with the medical school at UNLV, and we've got great residencies here that we um, partner and train. But, you know, if somebody that wants to go out on and, and start their own business, and obviously, you know, running a business is, is very tough and challenging. And with margins being squeezed and, and operating costs going up, you know, both labor and supplies. Um, but you're exactly right. When you look at Utah's uh, Medicaid rates, it's close to commercial rates. Mm-hmm. Um, now, they're one of the higher ones in the state, but you know, California to the west of us got a pretty good rate, too. So I know um, our previous governor, Governor Sisolak, Governor Lombardo, all are very acutely aware, and, and we're seeing some of that movement uh, with this administration, too. I, I think they all understand it. It's just tough balancing a very tight budget, um, and obviously uh, and nobody wants to raise taxes on either either side of the, the party. So, um, But I, I know our governor is listening in this regards and, and making some movement towards that, and I think we're going to have some good news out of this new administration with Governor Lombardo, um, and I know Governor Sisolak was working really hard. He just you know, had you know, pandemic hit and, and that was very a big focus. And, and, and as our economy and our city shut down, that was a, a tough thing for, for all of us. And I'll tell you, just on the behalf of um, all the hospitals in the state and, you know, being um, the past chair of the Nevada Hospital Association, um, forever grateful for that time that we were able to, to take a pause, be able to um, prepare for the pandemic. Um, and so, again, I know that was tough on all of us, but it did help us prepare and get ready and take care of the patients and saved a lot of lives um, on, on our preparation and being able to care for patients. So um, just wanted to say that. But, yeah, I think um, access is a big thing. Um, we, we're, as you know, um, continue to rank it towards the bottom on across the board on primary care and specialty care. And uh, even, even within the medical district, we're working together. Um, with all of our partners in the medical district to bring some of those services here, right here in city center to be able to um, have health care close to home. And, you know, one of the things that's interesting to me about it is as you were talking about the, you know, at the governor level, right, we're trying to recruit individuals, healthcare professionals into the state is a statewide initiative. It can't be done at a, at a single level, just at a single level. So training of individuals, um, you know, recruiting them in, not just into the, the hospital, for example, but into the city and what does the city have to offer and, and so forth. So it's, it's a much bigger uh, issue. You said that you had some ideas about this as far as the Medicaid and employment was concerned. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. You know, I, I think um, it, we, and we've seen coming post-pandemic um, – some dynamics change in the landscape in healthcare, not only in Las Vegas, um, but th- kind of throughout the country. And um, you know, one of the things I'm very passionate about, and um, we've seen private equity and capital uh, investment enter into healthcare. And I know um, the dean and I share the same philosophy that that's not that that has not served healthcare well. Um, from what we've seen when you've got private investors coming in and and, and buying companies or leveraging uh, healthcare, and um, putting extreme pressure on financial performance. When uh, I'm a firm believer in the sanctity of the patient-physician relationship, and that finances should not impede on that um, conversations and decisions. So, unfortunately, that has entered in the market. And you know, I, I, I what I've been seeing is unfortunately, um, you know, capital venture, private equity wins, and patients are losing. So they. We, um, we're trying to slow that down. Um, again, uh, it's coming, but it's entered in every space, right, in every industry. But, um, but so that's had a bit of an impact as well. Um, I think we've got also some non-competes and, and physician contracts that do work for some of these companies that impedes them from working or making decisions. And um, not only, uh, you know, is it post-termination, they, they've got them in there for a year later. And so we see um, physicians moving their families and taking their kids out of school because they're prohibited to work. So that's something I'm very personal um, uh, taking on, um, especially in the next legislative session. I want to take that out of healthcare workers. Doesn't matter if you're a nurse, doctor, uh, healthcare administrator, or uh, whatever industry you're on. That we we already have a physician shortage. Um, just because a physician may sign something in small print and says, "Hey, you can't work for a year later." 
nobody could do that, Mark. And, um, and so we want to be able to take that as long as you give a proper notice. Um, and I think a physician should be able to work wherever they would like to work. We don't have those in our contracts, um, in our employment models. Um, and so uh, I know the school doesn't either. So uh, I know the dean and I will be shoulder to shoulder on that coming up this next legislative session. Yeah, I mean, I think it's important to, you know, we're talking about the, the, um, the primary, the flagship hospital, academic medical center in, uh, in Las Vegas and the Kirk Coyne School of Medicine have to be shoulder to shoulder yep. on these things, right? Because yep. so, if, so from my perspective, and, and you know, we've talked about this a little bit, you, you've got, you're kind of solving this issue in some regard, two different directions. One, you're, you're growing your own, right? right. Growing right. your own physicians, training your own physicians and so forth. And then you're recruiting people in from outside. So things like having a, a trauma one, or a, a, you know, a medical area that can really recruit people because they want to work in that kind of a center, right? Yep. Uh, but then also how do we grow and train and bring people in this way as well? So yeah. it's, you've got to do it uh, all the way through the pipeline, yeah. uh, which is so important. So I think exactly like you said, the partnership becomes really critically important. Yeah. You talk a little bit about was one of the things that UMC uh, does, again, in one of the partnerships is with the school medicine. Yeah. Because of the residents, because of the training aspect and so mm -hmm. forth, can you talk, just explain sure. what that is in general and then how that helps to facilitate what we're talking about, and that's growing physicians. Yeah, I think we're really primed in a, in a, in a really good situation. Um, you, you take all the activity that's going on in the medical district, and the city has been really good um, from an economic development standpoint. Um, we, uh, you can see the change happening. Um, as I look outside the, the windows here at the School of Medicine, um, all the activity that's going on uh, in and around uh, mm -hmm. the school, and lots of things going on in this campus. And then at UMC as well, um, we were putting in close to $60 million in renovations um, on the external. We've been doing a lot of improvements inside, but the outside uh, needed a little bit of a, a facelift. And um, so we're beautifying and unifying the campus. It's called our Revitalized Project. Um, so every, every inch of the, the campus is being touched, whether it's new sidewalks, new parking, new landscaping, new facade, which is the exterior, um, new lighting. Uh, we've got healing gardens that are coming on. So really reflecting the great care that's happening um, inside of UMC. And, uh, and yeah. if I could just jump yeah. in, it's not just a facelift. I mean, it's so important that you do that. So because we've got individuals who are in some ways, in a lot of ways, in the most vulnerable situation mm -hmm. to be to walk into a place where they feel is well taken care of becomes really important. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're very excited about the project. It, it, again, it's going to reflect all the great things that are happening inside and uh, new entrance off of Shadow Lane and, and a lot, lot easier access. As I mentioned, it, it is a city in itself, and it can be very intimidating um, if you're not knowing where you're going. And so we, we're really, um, and our patient experience department's done a great job on making sure that we have concierge and guest services at, at every point when people walk through. But you know, kind of back to how important um, you know the training, both with medical students, uh, residents, and then hopefully keeping them here mm -hmm. in the city, uh, and then all the things that are going on in the medical district. I think is is primed to for um, really good success story. We st will still need to continue to recruit and retain, um, but the numbers show that if we have all those things lined up and um, and we've got opportunities, people will stay and. You know, I, I've been here for quite some time. I've, I've lived in Las Vegas since 2008 and been through the Great Recession and survived that and, and really studied and learned on, on our economy and then going through the pandemic and the things lessons learned from there. We need to continue to diversify our economy, our industry, and I think um, uh, we continue to do that, and especially in the healthcare uh, space. So, so you, you're sort of leading into uh, something I've been thinking about for a while. You've got a unique perspective. You've got a wider perspective than than certainly most people. What is the future of healthcare in the state? Yeah, I, I think, um, and, and again, we continue to make um, steps in the right direction together uh, as an industry. Uh, we all work well together, you know, um, regardless of if you're in the north or other 
hospitals in the in the community. I think we're all trying to fill the gaps and, and try to find the needs um, of our patient population. Um, some of them, those are a little bit further projected out, and, and UMC and the school work well on what do we need next? Um, we need residencies in pathology and anesthesia and radiology. Um, and so continue to look at um, what's on the horizon for, for the state is something that we're constantly doing. Um, and then putting resources to that. You know, again, I think the governors uh, continue, this governor, Governor Lovardo, continues to support and understands um, how important those residencies are uh, to the community. Because it do, But it does take time to, to grow and, 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 and flourish. Uh, it doesn't happen overnight, but um, definitely seeing the commitment. Um, and again, we're very encouraged on that. So it's, um, and we don't have a crystal ball, but we're, we're pretty good at projecting on where we need to lead and, and, and head to. So it's, uh, again, I'm very, very uh, comfortable with the healthcare that we have here. I'm very, um, very proud of what we've been able to do. And, um, and I get to see some of the great stories that happen every single day at uh, our, our, our hospital and, and UNLV's um, partnership with us. Um, you know, even in our trauma center, it's, uh, we have a 97% survival rate. And some of those patients had a 1% chance of surviving. That doesn't happen anywhere else right. in the country. Um, and so I'm very proud of what we're able to do and, and, and proud of what UMC is able to, our capacity and our capabilities. It's, uh, yeah, that, that statistic and, and the great work that's done in the Burns Center and, and so forth, it's, it really is incredible. And, and to your point, I mean, I think that it is all hands on deck as far as this is concerned because ultimately what we're doing is improving healthcare in the state of Nevada. Right, and that's that's a moonshot to go mm -hmm. back to our story, right? right? Um, and it's it's so important to all of us. Okay, so you've talked about your daughters, you've talked about uh, some of the great stories you've seen at UMC. What are some of your moments of joy that you can remember from from your life? You can only use two for okay. your kids, by the way. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, you know, uh, that's a tough one, Mark. So uh, moments of joy, you know. Um, just just proud of obviously yeah my daughters are, are number one that people ask me um you know where'd you get the sun from where'd you go on vacation just on the side of the tennis court watching my kids yeah. and just watching them work hard and um and grow and develop and mature so but you know i i i love what i do at umc you know i i have um been there since 2014 um you know took on a big job you know when you look at um across the board, the reputation, the financial challenges, uh, strong union, um, just it was, it was a huge undertaking and most people would run away from that. Um, I looked at it as an opportunity for me to grow personally and grow um, and say, you know what, I, it's gonna be, make me a better leader, better administrator, and I wanna, I wanna help and contribute and make a difference. And every day when I drive in, um, you know, I get excited. I, I never leave. Um, you know, I always leave, okay, what did I contribute today? And, and, but more importantly, I talk to our employees about that a lot, knowing that their satisfaction um, coming into UMC every single day, it's going to tough. It's going to be tough, and we're not perfect. But um, I know we're the best hospital in the entire state of Nevada. We prove that over and over with our results, our scores, our stories, um, and, and just our engagement. So I just want to make sure, you know, um, that our employees are feeling satisfied engaged and that they feel like they're contributing every day and that, and, and that shows in our retention rate um, when we post one position at UMC we not only get hundreds we get thousands of people that apply for that so uh, that shows me um, that you know it's people want to come and work for us and, and be a part of the team for, for a lot of reasons but they've been able to see us on the move over the last seven eight years to be able to um, change that whole dynamic at UMC so um it's it's my hospital. Uh, I love it, and uh, you know I don't think of ever going anywhere else because this is uh, where I want to end my career. So Mason, uh, since 2008, you've been in Las Vegas. Let's talk a little bit about your Vegas experience. Some of your favorite restaurants. Well, um, so I've since 2008 lived in the same house that um, I've enjoyed and um, love my home, but uh, I've. Obviously, Las Vegas, excellent restaurants, and, and I can name a bunch, but my, by far, um, is John Cutter's. Uh, 
Oh, yeah. I don't know if you know where John. Charleston. Yeah, Charleston. Yeah, yeah. So it's yeah. uh, my, my neighborhood establishment. But you can walk into Cutter's. First of all, the staff is wonderful. And the Corrigan family is an amazing longtime uh, owners of lots of establishments throughout the, the community. But um, from the management, uh, Danny Wedge. and uh, But you can walk in, and it's like a who's who. It's like it doesn't matter who you are. Everybody loves Cutter's. They're in their flip-flops, their shorts, and their T-shirts. So place never closes so that's the my favorite spot but you know obviously there's stuff with a strip i love Ilya's, you know in by uh canyon gate and some other spots but um i just a little plug for uh john cutters and the staff there i just it, it's my cheers if you will mark oh yeah <laughs> yeah and you walk in and everybody says Mason. oh yeah yes yeah. yeah i appreciate uh the restaurant industry uh, supporting our healthcare workers you know um very good friends of, of UMC is the Wolfgang Puck uh, oh, yeah. family, and uh, 1228 Main is mm-hmm. one that uh, I've been frequently lately. And uh, uh, Astros downtown? Yes, yeah. A- that's yeah. Excellent. Uh, there's yeah. a pizza place called Yukon Pizza. I've not tried that. You and then try um, another one is um, Todd English's. Oh, uh, yeah. Rest, Todd, yeah. uh, Todd's done a great job with the hotel. Yeah. and appreciate his investment in in the arts district and the medical district as well well it's it's really interesting to me like circa and the uh, places that are down here it's grown up a lot in in the last few years which is is super cool to us as well do you know other mama do you know oh yes yeah 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 yeah, i've been there it's been a while but uh yeah yeah it's it's great the seafood there is incredible yeah. Okay. There's so many, so many good spots that on every corner. Yeah. Uh, that's what I love it. You could, you got the strip and off the strip as well. So. Uh, ten o'clock in the morning on Saturday. Where are we going to find you? So I, um, I enjoy my uh, getting outside in my backyard um, and uh, got a nice little um, patio, covered patio, and I've got my TV and my little outdoor furniture so i'm usually gearing up especially this time of year mark um to watch football um, i love college football so yeah, um too. so that's usually um, i'm cooling off but i'm usually working out too i like to survey the grounds make sure everything's perfect i'm a little ocd about my backyard and that's probably uh, and grass. helpful in your line of business oh yeah it's yeah. it's it's and i i do uh, probably shouldn't do uh, fess it up too much but i I do like to do a little gardening and, and planting and just get my hands dirty. And I do all my landscaping, so I know I'm really good with uh, irrigation and fertilizing and uh, planting the right bushes at the right time of year. But so I, that, that's my therapy. If you really want to, and I don't uh, say that too much, but that's usually where you find me. Uh, I've got my big hat to keep the sun off me and uh, working outside, getting dirty. This is actually a very nice picture that I have now. Yes, yeah. You know, my dad is uh, 97, and uh, next week he turns 97. Wow. He still gardens almost every day. It's I think it's wonderful to do it. I love it as yeah. well. So It's uh, good therapy, and it feels like you're making a difference. Yeah, I do need to get a big hat, though. That's yeah. a good idea. <laughs> so, um, so you, I know that, you know, we've talked about this before. So I, I have the good fortune to work with a lot of elite level uh, athletes, mm-hmm. physicians, you know, corporate folks and so forth. And almost all of them have a consistent morning routine. How about you? You know, I, I do. Um, I, I will uh, get up at a certain time, um, get excited about the weekends because that, you know, I, I've got my projects to do and I met my mental list. So um We'll um, get up, and um, I like to go out, and every morning I kind of walk my yard, survey the grounds, as, as I call it, um, and then uh, kind of jump into – I turn on CNBC. I'm a CNBC junkie. Um, get my news because I like to watch other leaders, too, and their uh-huh. challenges. Uh, you know, obviously the, the strike that's going on right now, you know, I deal a lot with unions, and so deal with them you know, behind closed doors and the nego- negotiations. So I find that fascinating. Um, you know, I'm good friends with Maury Gallagher, CEO of Allegiant Airlines. So I'm always asking, you know, I look up to Maury and like, tell me about your challenges and what you're going through with pilots and the hours and all the things that, you know, that that's going on in your industry. So I try to learn from other, um, leaders as well. Um, but I love business, uh, and learning, um, their challenges and, um, and some of the you know, things that are going, especially in our economy right now. Yeah. Uh, and then I, I head to work and. Um, I'll make my phone calls in the morning. Uh, I call my, my, my best friends uh, and, and I'm on the way into work and try to do that. Uh, um, 
I don't turn on the radio. I just call my friends and kind of check in on them. And That's weird. I've never gotten a call from you. In the oh, morning. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll ping you tomorrow. How's that sound? <laughs> it's usually my mother um, and, and my, my Air Force buddy that we served uh, together in Afghanistan. So I, I check in on um, him who's on the East Coast. And then uh, my mentor who brought me to Las Vegas, Leonard Freehoff. So he and I talk uh, as well. Um, and so th that usually takes up the, I still have a 15 minute commute, uh, which is kind of nice coming yeah. from Summerlin UMC. It's not that bad. So, but that's usually what my calls I get in in the morning. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, yeah. A lot of times I'll, I'll call my dad on the way in too, which is, yeah. it's amazing how that changes the commute, right? It does. Now, if, if I forget, I do get in a little trouble. So I've, I've kind of hardwired that into, uh, at least my mother. So I got to make sure I get that in. <laughs> Where is, she, is she in Florida? She's in Virginia Beach, Virginia. Oh, okay. Yep. Still, still, still yep. lives in there, a uh, Navy town. So. Okay. Okay. Uh, are you a podcast guy at all? You know what? This is, uh, I think, firstly my first podcast. So uh, thanks for taking it easy on me. But um, one of the things that I had heard, uh, I heard it at the hospital. People were talking about podcasts. And I, and I started listening. I said, well, what does everybody listen to? And it was you. So uh, I said, well, let me... Let me uh, send a message saying I hear you're doing good things, and a lot of UMC staff are listening to you. So you're you're making a difference, and the topics are good. So well, I appreciate hopefully you I, I I didn't let you down today, Mark. You you did <laughs> not. I and uh, you know now you have a podcast that you can listen to. I know you don't listen to your own stuff, but uh, yeah. it's this was super fun for me. So uh, last last question yes. for right now. Yeah. Uh, you may spur some more, but uh, we've got. You've got three things that need to happen okay. in, in our state to improve health care. What are those three things from your perspective? Yeah. Um, you know, the big thing is, I think I'm going to start with access. Um, you know, and we're working on some initiatives. On, uh, we've got some really good committees at UMC that think tanks that think about what can we do. Um, and, and what I like about UMC is we just don't, you know, we're just not taking care of our 26 acres. Um, you know, when you look at the pandemic, we were out everywhere, and we realized that uh, we needed to be on the front of this. So that's why we were at the Orleans parking lot and doing tests and, you know, vaccinations and, and all these things that, you know, we could have just took care of what walks through our door, but that's not the UMC style. That's not the UMC way. Um, but access continues to be a big big issue, Mark. You know, we've got um, a very robust primary care department, but we still have no-shows that come in that have appointments. And then we, we call, we want to follow up and say, hey, Mark, why didn't you show up? It's not for penalty, but why, why did why'd you miss your appointment? And it comes down to, you know, didn't have a ride, um, didn't have, you know, didn't understand this or understand that. So, you know, trying to educate and advocate for our patients. Um, a lot of people don't know, and when we're partnering with Lyft, you know, that Lyft has a medical, will pick you up. A lot of insurances, that's covered under your insurance. So we want to make sure that people are getting the right care, timely care, so they're not missing their medications, not going without their preventative health. So you don't end up in the emergency room. We've got a great emergency department at UMC, but that's not where we want to treat most of our patients. We want to do that in a setting that is um, on your schedule, you know, when it's convenient, then we can have those conversations and you're not dealing with everything else around the emergency department. So I think um, reimbursements are a big issue. Uh, and, I, I, and again, I can tell you from UMCs, we're not looking to, you know, rake anybody over the coals or, you know, try to get more money. But it, healthcare is very expensive, um, especially when you're doing it in, in an episodic care late in life. And we, so we want to move that population health much forward. But it's hard to do that when, um, it's, when you're barely making it. Um, you know, UMC's doing well, um, but we've, we've had to be very diligent and are, have good business acumen on managing the business side of things to be able to grow. But when you have low reimbursements, you miss the investments, you miss the opportunities, you miss hiring the best people, you miss um, growing new, new facilities and doing some of that stuff. So reimbursement is a big challenge, and I'm, I'm talking specifically Medicaid, and it's, uh, it's no secret that if, if a business, any other industry, was only getting a third of their true cost, this is not charges, or, um, it, and it makes up 50%, up to 70% at some hospital's business, you're not going to be able to grow. You're just holding on, and, and you're barely making it. So we've seen some of that. We've seen where 
providers just won't take it. Um, they won't accept that insurance or uh, hospitals have had, unfortunately, had to close in the state throughout the, and especially in our rural areas. So, um, and then I think, again, just um, pr promoting and telling our story in healthcare, telling those stories, because um, there's so many good stories that happen every single day and letting people know that um, it's, it's, it's good to go to this hospital or it's, this doctor is a great doctor and, and not let somebody else tell that narrative. And I think we're turning the corner on that. Yeah, and I, a lot of what you're saying feeds back to the idea of increasing our our healthcare population, people who are delivering healthcare, our physicians and so forth, in the state, which then leads to better access and leads yeah. to, and so forth. Yeah, all of it together. And if I could too, I'd just do a little plug for those that are thinking about a career in healthcare. Um, I tell you, um, we and I've been through many economic cycles, ups and downs. Um, although we're not completely immune, we tend to do very well um, during those um, sides. And, and a lot of these degrees that we need um, are two-year degrees, uh, whether it's radiology or um, you know a tech, a tech in the OR. And, and the compensation is very good. good, good job security. So if anybody's thinking about that, we need to do that. And I know that we do that together, but even getting earlier on in the middle schools, high schools, and I know we've got a lot of magnet programs out there. Again, another plug for community college. Um, look at those health sciences degrees to be able to um, find a career. And then I've seen, I've literally seen, um, you know, a transporter work there all the way up to a nurse practitioner um, and seen that career growth because we will help you with your tuition reimbursement at the, at the, at the hospital. So we want to help grow those uh, individuals. But, you know, for somebody that's looking for a career and um, could put a little time in, in getting some type of a degree at a community college, you know, being a, a radiology technician or ultrasound technician or a surgery tech, um, it, it's, it's endless opportunities from there. It's, I'll tell you, I, I love what you said, Mason, because, um, by the way, I also love your moments of joy. Those were yeah. fantastic. <laughs> Thanks, Mark. But, but yeah. you know, for our, our uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, our DEI team, they go d all the way down to the uh, junior high school to talk yeah. about people and careers in medicine. And I think we need to do that. Right? We need to start there to start moving people forward because that's how we grow, you know, from inside. And, and that's one of the ways that we're going to improve healthcare. There's a lot of other things, like you said, the reimbursement piece and so forth. But we do this together. And, and to a large extent, I think back to your, to your military experiences, everybody has to be on the same page or it doesn't work, right? Right. And so when we can do that together, and, and, and in a big picture, right, reaching all the way to people as they're just starting to think about their careers all the way through, um, then I think, we, you know, those things, those three things that you talked about, which are very important, can really start, that can be our moonshot. Yeah, I We agree. can start moving in that direction. This is fantastic. Lieutenant Colonel yes. uh, Mason Van Halling, <laughs> CEO Mason Van Halling, I appreciate it Thank so much. I enjoyed that. Thank yeah. you. Pleasure. Thank you.